Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 40-plus year veteran of the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. You make that sound like I've been around a long time. Uh, I think we're all, we're all getting old. <laughs> and Bill Searle, a guy that logs a lot of Wisconsin miles and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. Good to have you both on the ride. Today, we're going to discuss choices you have or not when changing your car's engine oil. We'll also talk about not using air in your tires. What's that about? Yeah. As automobiles started to grow in numbers in the early 1900s, the need for many moving parts became necessary in the transportation of people and things. So regular maintenance became necessary. Where there are moving parts, there's friction. Where there's friction, there's the need for lubrication. It's just as simple as that. You know, synthetic hydrocarbon oils were invented and produced back in 1877. Yeah, it's been around for a while. This was a coal-based product. The need for synthetic oil really came to be during World War II when countries were being cut off from petroleum products and conventional oil performed poorly in extreme temperatures. The king of the oil industry, Mobil, produced and introduced its synthetic engine oil in 1974 followed by Chevron in 1990 and Valvoline in 1992. So what was happening when, in World War II, they were using synthetics? So you were saying that they introduced it at the retail market. In World War II? Well, you just said that they had it in working in World War II, and they started to introduce it, but then you said Mobile introduced it in 1974. Well, after the war was over, there really wasn't a need, or I guess the focus kind of dropped off for a while, and then they started, when the engines started to get higher technology and, and revving faster and were driving more miles, they brought that synthetic idea back into play. And started to really work on it, I think, in the late 60s. In World War II, the important part or piece of synthetic oil was actually for the aircraft and the tanks. So bringing us up to speed to more to today's standards, you know, our automotive technology really is changing at a fast rate. We're starting to see a lot of different changes come into the inner workings and the mechanical part, the engines, and uh, we're actually asking a lot more of our engines and cars than we ever have before. Higher RPMs and longer distances and higher mileage. You know, some of our cars that we drive are up in that 250,000 mile range. It's crazy. Oh, we've got vehicles that come in with a half a million miles on. So, Wow. To get this kind of mileage and longevity anymore is commonplace. And it has to be with the price of the cars. I mean, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars for a car, you gotta have it last ten years to get your investment back. And the price of the cars that you just mentioned, there is a lot of new technology rolled into that. There is something in that price. I mean, there's a, a lot of research and development. Um, A lot of the components that are attached to your engine, such as your transmission, transaxle, things like that, are really considered to be very specialized these days and require special lubricants. Look at an Expedition. That's a full-size vehicle. People hauler, product hauler, pull boats, pull big campers. There's a lot of stress and strain put on that engine, and they're running V6s. So they're downsizing the engine and demanding more power than the V8s that have been in there forever. In turn, that's putting more demand on the engine oils. 
So dropping back down to a V6 from the old standard of a V8, that's probably just because of uh, fuel economy, that's right? exactly it? what it is. Totally because of fuel economy. The government is mandating the CAFE fuel requirements, corporate average fuel economy, and those those numbers are just climbing every year. It's, what is it? A couple of years, it's supposed to be over 30 for everything that a manufacturer produces. So the more of these big vehicles that they produce versus the small vehicles to get that corporate fuel economy up, you either get the better fuel economy out of the big vehicles or you sell a lot of small vehicles. And fortunately in the U.S., we like our big stuff. You know, the other thing that we're starting to see come around, well, we have for a while now, but starting to become even more evident is special lubricants. You know, we're talking about transmission, transaxle, engine oil, brake fluid, just all the lubricants and fluids that antifreeze, anything, fluids in our in our vehicles are becoming more specialized right down to the manufacturer, even models in some cases. Mm-hmm. Why is that? It's the requirement that we're putting these components under. Let's take an, exa- an engine example. You got turbochargers, which create more horsepower out of a smaller displacement engine it's packing more air in to develop that extra power you got variable cam timing which creates more power by moving the camshaft utilizing engine oil so everything that they're doing is directly related to the oil itself and you get into some mercedes and things like that And oil change is $200 on those because the oil is so darn expensive. They have their individual additive package for that particular oil. A Bugatti supercar, the oil change is $25,000. Oh, my gosh. And you're required to do that oil change because the vehicle is rated for 260 miles an hour. So that's the exact, that's the extreme of what's going on. But that's what's happening in the industry. So looping all the way back, what is this thing that you spoke of, the cam? Your camshaft is what opens and closes the valve to allow the air in and the exhaust out. Real basic explanation of it. So as you create more horsepower, create higher engine speeds, you want to be able to turn that camshaft to maximize. No, it's not turning any faster than the engine is going. You're actually moving the camshaft to open the valve sooner to allow more air and fuel to get in quicker while maintaining your low RPM performance. And that creates more horsepower and better fuel economy. But you're relying on engine oil to actually do that. Is this one of those techno geek things? (laughs) Yeah, it is. But what what was allowing for that to be changing the cam before? Nothing. It never did. So there was no lubrication on the cam. The lubrication shaft. was there, but the cam was fixed, so it was turning at engine RPM. I see. Instead so of advancing it... and okay. moving farther forward in the, the stroke process right. to allow that extra air and fuel to get in faster. Got it. Now, Bill, I don't think you drive a million-dollar Bugatti, but no, at I least do I not. don't think you do. I do not. No, I don't need to go 256 <laughs> miles an hour to oh, work. Oh, come on. Live <laughs> on take the me edge. a minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. But now with a better understanding of what Brian's saying, can you picture yourself as you're driving down the road in the car you drive today, which is right. a later model, all that stuff going on? It's crazy. Yeah, it is There's amazing. a lot of technology in, yes. all around you when you're driving your car. Yeah. 
You, know, you take that EcoBoost, which Ford is using that in almost every platform they have. And that engine, like in the Expedition I drive, is developing 300 plus horsepower. You take that same engine and you increase the boost, put more air and fuel in. They're running them on racetracks in the Tudor racing class. Same exact motor, developing 700 horsepower. It just at what point? At what point is that just asking too much of this poor little six-cylinder engine that's down in the middle of this heartbeat? And they perform <laughs> phenomenally. It's crazy technology it's great when it works <laughs> when it don't it gets really expensive <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey we've gotten really deep here so let's Very just quickly. reel it back a little bit and let's let's talk about the basics let's go back to that original idea of the oil change really the most important maintenance scheduled item that we can do and so why is the oil change so important because of everything we just described we're demanding so much of this engine because of the oil that we've got to get a high quality oil in and change it on a regular basis so it doesn't break down and cause additional wear on these new high technology products that are in this engine. So basically it lubricates any friction in an engine if it's designed correctly. What I did find out, or we should know because we've been in the industry as long as we have, because we're just old guys that are car guys. Oil actually is a cooling factor as well. It actually helps the engine to stay cool because of the less friction. And a lot of cars have oil coolers on them too. Remotely takes the oil out there to help reduce the heat of that to extend the life of the oil as well as the engine. Ah. So this all intertwines. Coming back to the idea of the regular maintenance or the oil change. The, The car manufacturers are going against what I believe in with extending the oil changes to eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 miles. It's such cheap insurance that how many people drive more than 15,000 miles a year? Not a lot. That's pretty much the right. average. That's the it? average yeah. in our market. So in most cases, if you're changing every six, seventy five hundred, that's two oil changes a year for most people. That's cheap insurance instead of going Absolutely. to 10,000 miles, 12,000 miles and causing that extra wear on the engine doesn't it make more sense just to change it absolutely the other huge benefit to making that pit stop and getting that oil change like you had just said in those intervals is the fact that it gives you a chance to stop take a breath sharpen a saw and look at your car overall look at the tires look at the brakes check all the different fluids it really is kind of a pit stop checkup is the way i like to look at it you're not looking at anything under the hood for ten thousand miles that's scary that's a year That's for a, most yeah, people. Absolutely. And I'd say that, you know, the fact of that the oil is, well, we haven't even gotten into synthetic oil yet. So, like, we got to go there. We're going to get there. But, you know, it's all, it is a recyclable product. So, even if there was life left in that oil, it's being recycled. Mm-hmm. It's not wasted. Yep. And, of course, like anything, even the best oil, the synthetic that we're going to touch on later, Bill, that you mentioned there, even that will lose its its effectiveness over time. It It breaks breaks down down as well. Mm -hmm. Even though it's synthetic, it's a premium product and we'll get there, but you've got to get that old stuff out and the new stuff in. Very few things are forever. I think it's death and taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm thinking it might be the other way around, taxes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, like with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away a partway through our podcast recording and do a Wisconsin road trip. This time, we're hopping in the expedition that you mentioned earlier, Brian. You're driving. We're shotgun. And we're going to head over to Sparta. Sparta, Wisconsin, which I'm sure most uh, Wisconsinites have heard of Sparta. And in Sparta, there's the Deke Slayton Astronaut Museum, which also houses the Bicycle Museum in the same building. Oh, near to dear to your heart. Oh, yes. I love it. I'm yeah. there a couple times a year, and we do that Sparta Elroy Trail and go through the tunnels. It's an awesome. That's what it's known that's for. That's what it's known for. It's the big trail, the bike trail, and the big tunnels. Absolutely. If you get a chance, I highly recommend doing the Elroy Sparta Trail, at least the tunnel part. And the one of those tunnels is three quarters of a mile long. I, uh, it's just a little yeah, light at yeah. the end. And what's, what's amazing is uh, at some times of the year, it actually gets foggy in those tunnels where you cannot see that little light at the end. So you are going into a dark abyss, and it's not until probably three quarters of the way through, and you can finally start to see light at the other end. It's absolutely amazing. So can you walk this tunnel, or do you have to be on a bike? They say you should walk your bike through the tunnel. Oh, you actually right, can't so walk every, the trail. Okay, so everybody's definitely walking. No yeah. one is riding their bike through the tunnel. Do I follow those they rules? Do, no. <laughs> they're not supposed to. I ride through. That's terrible. <laughs> I know, that. I know. But, and you can do just that section. You can get off, what is it, down by Norwalk? I think so. Somewhere in that area. Yep. And just do the tunnel section if you don't want to do the whole 50-mile Elroy to Sparta. That'd be a long walk for sure. That would be a long walk. <laughs> However, we have veered a little ways away from the yes. Deke Slayton uh, Astronaut <laughs> Museum. Now, what's really cool about that museum is it's a true astronaut museum, and Deke Slayton is from Sparta. That's awesome. So I think that what's interesting is the history there that Deke Slayton, I mean, he was an astronaut back in 1959, part of the first Mercury 7 group that was formed by NASA. And, you know, he had a 20-year career with NASA, which is, you know, pretty long longevity pretty, there. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Really. A good fellow Wisconsinite. Absolutely. And not many people know that. And most of those early astronauts were all test pilots. So they were all kind of crazy in the head to start with. So they were charting new waters. Yeah, they were doing things nobody ever did before. Right. He was part of the 1975, the Russian U.S. Apollo, I don't even know how to say it, Soyuz. Very well done, I think. I don't know. (laughs) The docking mission and the whole connector. So that was pretty cool. And this guy's from Sparta, Sparta, Wisconsin. It's awesome. And you might ask, well, what do bicycles, which that part of the museum is really cool, too. That's really near and dear to my heart. But what do bicycles and astronauts have to do with each other? And quite frankly, the Wright brothers were bicycle mechanics and had a bicycle shop before they hit the air. So that's really the where where this all comes together. And we were just talking about the Sparta to Elroy Trail, that that really was the first uh, rails to trails program in the nation. Absolutely. And it does have national recognition. So I got to ask you, have you driven or ridden one of those big front tire bicycles? Big front tire bicycles. Where the tire, the the front tire is six foot 
in diameter. Oh, the high wheel. There you go. Oh, oh, I, that's I what they're called. I now learned something. They're called a high wheel. Okay. I told my wife here just this summer, actually, that I would love to ride one of those things. As dangerous as they look, I'd love to ride you one. I haven't done it yet. No? I have not done it. I haven't had the opportunity. This They're hard to come by, hard to find, and those that own them really I'm keep pretty them particular. Pretty, pretty particular. I actually had considered trying to build one. If I was a better welder, I think I could do it. Holy wow. cow. That'd be, I, yeah, that'd be awesome. We know some guys that can weld. Yeah, I could probably <laughs> put this together. But also at the museum, there is a moon rock. A moon rock. Jumping back to Derek, Deke, sorry, that, you know, from the standpoint of like, it's the only moon rock in the state of Wisconsin. That's really cool. So this yeah. is really a destination. I mean, yeah. this is something to do. They have a lot of youth programs. Actually, they have some overnight camps and things like that where they can get dressed up in the astronaut outfits. This is really a big deal. Right. And you could, as Brian, you could definitely do the moonwalk in front of the moonwalk. <laughs> I don't know if I can do a moonwalk. If you do that, make sure you get that on video because I would love to see that. Yeah, yes. that would definitely be a Reels highlight. <laughs> All right. Back in the Ford Expedition, back to getting down to business with the uh, talking about the oil changes and. Bill, you had brought up previously synthetic oil. That sounds high tech, just saying the word. It is. It sounds like that there's no oil in it. Is that actually even true? I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's some oil in it, but overview of synthetic is that it's a man-made product. Is that true, Brian? Yes, it is. Now, part of it's man-made or yeah, all of it? It's in the refining process. In answer to your question, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we do know, it is a superior product, which is why it came to be, because it could withstand, as we talked about earlier, higher temperatures, higher revs. Lower temperatures for yeah, our winter driving. extreme temperatures. So it lubricates the engine components on initial startup in our 30 degree below zero winters that we have. Absolutely. And then we uh, also, probably in the last 20 years or so, the, the automobile manufacturers have started to recommend it in their vehicles Which that we've been buying. Comes back to the way the engines are designed and how much we're acquiring. But also it is a component that helps with fuel economy because it flows so much easier with less horsepower to get that corporate fuel so economy. it's slicker. It's slicker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So where do we find if our listeners now are curious and want to find out if their vehicle does in fact require or recommend synthetic oil? Where do we find that information? I think we've said this in the past. The, the owner's, owner's manual. manual. There we go. We're back on it. <laughs> in your glove box. Almost any car can be converted over to synthetic. And if you wanted to go back to synthetic, blind, or conventional, you can after the fact that's it's not a problem going back and forth. I would suggest sticking with synthetic because it is a superior product and you can extend your life out, change your oil half as often and have to make that extra appointment to the, the repair shop and take an hour out of your day, half hour out of your day. You know what I like about the whole idea is that quicker, better starts in the winter. And where we live here in Wisconsin, we hit extremes of all kinds. Mm -hmm. We probably have the one spot in the nation where we do have all extremes. And to uh, have a quicker start in our winters for that two-month period is awesome. Two months? Well, <laughs> extreme. Well, it's really extreme. cold. <laughs> all right, I'll give you that. It's not the Arctic yet. Uh, but I like what you just said, Brian, mentioning that it's a superior product. It lasts longer, so our intervals are further out, which means we're stopping that car less 
So if you play it all out, it's really not costing us any more money. No. Your investment is about the same because of the the extended life that you can get out of it. And your recommendation, Brian, was that we can choose to go with the synthetic oil, the better product. And then if we, for whatever reason, decided to jump ship, you can go back and you're not really doing any, any not harm. Damaging nope. You're not damaging it. They're not. That kind of was an old wives, wives' tale. And going back into the 70s, early 80s, way back when I started, one of the myths back then was if you put it in a higher mileage vehicle, convert it over to synthetic, it's going to leak oil everywhere because it can't handle it. That's a myth and fallacy, too. I remember that, yeah. So one of the things that you had talked about in jumping back to the turbocharge of the engine, that the greater vis- viscosity or of the new oil helps in that. What is turbocharging and how does that actually help? Well, the viscosity is the same between conventional and synthetic oil. Okay. The ability to flow and go through is different than viscosity. Bill, I'm going to come back to jargon alert. This is something you used to bring up often. What's viscosity? Tell us that just so we understand. It's how much oil flows at a specific temperature. So you have your 5W30s, your 5W20s, 0W16. The one number is for cold and the one number is for hot. And it's how well the oil flows at those temperatures. And the viscosities are dropping over the years to help with the quality of the product is the biggest thing that's allowing us to do that, as well as getting the fuel economy up. You dial it back, everybody used to use 10W40. Right. It doesn't even exist anymore. 20W50. Ah, okay. You remember those? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So those are going by the wayside because of it. But the oil is flowing better, smoother, faster because of the quality of the refining. Is that high viscosity? High viscosity when it flo- when it flows better? So like a jar of honey has low viscosity? <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends. <laughs> and temperature. Believe, yeah. That's yeah. a gr- great point. And yeah. temperature, cold honey is going to flow really slow. Room temperature of honey is going to flow a lot better. That's a great analogy. Just to give it a visual for our listeners, absolutely. So the turbocharge, yeah, let's though, get back to that. that what is that really? I mean, uh, you know, the new synthetics help protect a turbocharged engine. But what is turbocharged? I just know I push the pedal down and it goes faster, right? Exactly. (laughs) How does that actually happen in the engine? So the turbocharger is hooked directly to the exhaust system. So the exhaust is turning a fan on one side. There's two components to a turbo. So as the exhaust goes out, it's turning this fan, which is turning an impeller on the opposite side to force air into the engine faster and higher volume we get more air into it we can put more fuel to it to create more horsepower better efficiency the more the engine can fire the more air and oxygen and fuel that goes into bigger fire bigger blast it it creates more horsepower creates more power the other side of it is not as popular but there's what's called superchargers those do the exact same thing, but they're driven by a belt off the crankshaft. So it's flowing more air into the engine to create that extra power. And that's why you can have a smaller V6 that gets more air and fuel into it and can fire at a greater velocity to it's move creating, the engine. Creating more horsepower, more power to out of a smaller displacement engine. 
So blowing air into that fire in your backyard yeah, exactly. fire it's pit. The bellow. It's a basically the bellow a big thing, bellow. It's like in the old days, and it yes, makes that so fire just woof, more gasoline woof. poured on it with a more oh. oxygen. So do you fire. got a turbo in your car? I do have. a Oh, turbo. you're loving that. Yeah, and they really go it, it, too. It, the only time I'd ever you know passing a vehicle would be the time to really notice the difference. You'll notice a big difference yeah. at that point, but it's always moving. It's creating more boost more pressure going into the engine as you speed up and demand more out of it there's a wastegate that allows some of that pressure to bleed mm. by so i see the relationship here we're talking about the turbochargers and how we really require much more from our engines these days and higher technology comes back to synthetic oil being a premium lubrication product and why that's so important in today's vehicles yeah it makes a lot of sense so what I'm gathering from all this conversation at this point is that our car owners do have a choice. Right. You can right. make that choice to take better care of your investment. And like I think you said earlier, Brian, $70,000, $80,000 vehicles is not uncommon. Let's take care of them. You got to take right. care of them. So I'm going to throw kind of a little bit of a sidewinder in here. What about blended? What's blended oil? So synthetic standard oil blended. Am I saying that right? It's getting to be the better better part of both worlds. I mean, synthetic blends are usually about 5 to 10% synthetic, and the rest is conventional oil. But why? Because it's a better, more refined product than regular conventional oil. So it's a good, better, best. Good, better, best. Okay. But for the difference in price, it just almost doesn't make sense. I get it. Personally, every vehicle I drive has got full synthetic oil. It might oil. as well, yeah. Blended seems to almost be the standard these days. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't find conventional, true conventional oil much anymore. Wow, okay. Well, Maybe clears for your more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably so. That's about <laughs> it. Well, speaking of choices, let's talk about air in our tires. So right. there's an option out there to not fill your tires with air. What's that option? Nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Scientist here, Brian, tell us a little bit about nitrogen. Nitrogen's in our atmosphere. It's 78% of what we're breathing every day. So, it's a natural product. Yep. The advantage to putting in a nitrogen fill versus regular shop air is because it's a manufactured and re refined product, there's no moisture in it. Where I've seen nitrogen really shine is on a coach, big bus, oh, <laughs> semi-sized tires on them. Right. And we've had a couple of gentlemen that monitor their air pressure, the tire temperature and all of that because they can generate so much heat. When we put nitrogen in those particular vehicles, there's no moisture going in. The nitrogen molecule is bigger than the oxygen, which is 21% of our atmosphere. So the temperature runs cooler on those tires. The air pressure doesn't increase because of heat near as much because you don't have that moisture in there. So I've seen where it does work. As far as in car, light truck applications, I'm kind of on the fence on that one. The advantage is, again, no moisture in there. With all the tire pressure monitors, it's got to make them last longer. But as far as leaking, I don't really see the difference. They say it's so minimal that it should not take the place of you actually checking your air pressures once a month is really what it's come down to. And I think of sometimes that we've talked about classic cars, 
that may those vehicles are sitting for several months. That to me might be a scenario where you've gotten a classic tire, you've ordered it special, that having nitrogen in there without any water or moisture, I should say, the tire would last longer. That's one of the things that they say. Right. I haven't personally seen it. Right. It's supposed to not leak out as much and be more stable with air pressure. We were talking about this the other day and it got got me thinking. We really started having the tire leakage, losing air pressure more common when we got away from steel wheels. So 20 years ago, every car had hubcaps and a steel wheel behind it. Now it's alloy. Almost everything now has an alloy, aluminum wheel, and the seal between the rim and the tire break. And temperature change has a big effect on that. So I think it's we're more aware of it now because of the type of wheel versus the air pressure actually leaking out through the tire. So, again, I'm on the fence as far as in a vehicle. I think of it as, how does one... Do you have a bottle of nitrogen at home? I mean, you know, I think of the, twi- the checking it once a month. Say you find it's low... Where do you go to get nitrogen? A bunch of convenience stores and gas stations in your neighborhood are probably not going to have nitrogen pumps. I don't think they're going to have it. Put air in it. Put regular, okay. regular compressed air in it. You're going to do more damage by trying to drive to find your nitrogen to get in there <laughs> sure. than you are going to by putting a little bit of air to get the pressure back where it needs to be. And I've seen too many people that they put it in to trying to maintain their tires the, the absolute best they can. And they're scared to death put air in. You're going to potentially do way more damage by trying to find nitrogen than actually air up the tire. That's a good point. Now, the one of the industries out there that nitrogen does work very well in that I found out through my research is aircraft. Right. So airplanes and going through all of the different, uh, I mean, within an, within a two-hour period, they can go from freezing temperatures to 100 degrees. And oh, so, it's five-minute period. Yeah, absolutely. They're, absolutely. They're running down a hot 150, 160-degree runway, fully loaded with fuel, people, luggage. The tire temperature is going to climb dramatically just in that oh, 1,500, 2,000 right. feet oh, yeah. before they take right. off. Five minutes later, they're minus 40. Right. So the temperature change is just astronomical. Time back to Deke. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's ultra important in that application. And again, the tires are so big on these aircraft. They're bigger than semi-tires. Right. So moisture also has a huge effect on it. So the process product versus just a compressed air product. Well, I hope we've uh, cleared up the muddy water and these uh, couple of issues here. We've learned a lot about the choices that you can make as a car owner when it comes down to synthetic versus conventional oil. And whether you shouldn't have air or nitrogen in your tire. So hopefully we've cleared it up. Ask questions. Right. Ask questions. That's the biggest thing. Wherever you get your car maintained, ask them questions. Do your research. Sounds like a good approach to me. We hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.